This in your pocket. Right here. Is sure. Yeah. Does it fit? It may not fit. There's a string there. I got a shirt pocket. Let's do that. Now we're hooked up. Okay. Well, I'm so glad to be here, Anchor. Uh, it's such a joy and really a privilege to be here with you today. I had brain surgery in the middle of July. It was there. It was uh, what I consider a miracle. My surgeon told me I didn't have to cut into your brain, Freddie, to take that tumor out. It was right on the surface when we opened it up. It would have formed deep in the interior of your brain, but it moved to the surface. I said, Doctor, what made that tumor move? We don't know. Well, now I think I know who made that tumor move. But we came out, and I can tell you, uh, please keep the prayers going. I feel good. We are traveling, preaching, leading events at Grace Farm. And I just feel good day to day. I feel good. Don't know when I've felt better. I need a nap every now and then. And uh, I watch myself to not overdo things. But I just, this is what I'm underscoring for you. I feel good. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I know who does know, and I rest in him. I can tell you that I'm a brain cancer treatment survivor. I survived the treatment. I took the burning and the poisoning and came out on the other side of that strong enough to fight again. And that's what we ask the Lord to help us do. So I'm blessed today. I'm the president of Focus Evangelistic Ministries. And one of the things that we do under that umbrella is, uh, Pastor Barry mentioned, Grace Farm Youth Camp out in Dewey Rose, Georgia. Brought some goodies in the back there. If you don't get our newsletter, uh, all we would need is an email. We could send you the email version of that. If you like U.S. mail, we'll be happy to pay the postage and the print cost to get that to you because we just believe in the Word of God. This is another way that we can get it into people's hands as well as some updates about what we're doing. That's called the communicator. We mail it quarterly. Back there is our latest prayer card. Our very latest picture there. Has everybody's birthday. If you look real close, you'll see Eden Grace. Ah, looks like Eden had a birthday yesterday, Pastor Barry. Yeah, that song was for her. Uh, Benjamin's here with us, so is Bethany Faith. If you need any of these things, you could see, especially um, Bethany in the back can get you one of these latest prayer cards. Maybe you could put that on your fridge when you go for the snack. Just pray for us because I just get into stuff and I'm always needing prayer. On the back are a couple of QR codes. You could ask your grandchildren about what those are <laughs> and how to use them. One of them will get you in touch with our ministry's YouTube channel. The other will get you in touch with our uh, podcast, which we started doing during the pandemic. Pastor Barry was a great encouragement to me to enter into the world of podcasting because of your podcast here at Anchor. Very good, very good. It works while we sleep. So 
uh, we do that podcast every year, every week. It's also a radio show, but QR codes for that are on the back of that prayer card. We brought some stickers. If you like stickers, those of you who are kids, no matter how old you are, there's some stickers back there. Bethany will have them at the end. It's such a privilege to be here. Your pastor uh, is an old kind of pastor. He was my pastor that morning in my surgery. It was a Monday morning. It was 6 a.m. We had checked in early. I was trying to keep things as light as I could and was trying to encourage my family too. And then everyone left. Pastor Barry walked in. So if you wonder what your pastor is doing at 6 o'clock on Monday mornings, that's an example of it. He was praying before I had brain surgery. Boy, we need pastors, don't we, in our lives. And I thank God that you have a good one here at Anchor Bible Church. I was a little boy with a hammer. I couldn't have been more than five years old, and I could use that hammer. I found some old roofing nails, which were the easiest ones to actually hit with that hammer. And all I needed was a board. And I was just like my grandpa, and I envisioned great things that I was building, and I kept on building. And my Cherokee grandfather lived right across the road, and he always had some project going on. He never threw away a nail. He, he pulled many a bent nail out of a board, and they'd go into a coffee can, and he'd straighten them out and use them later. And he was teaching me principles of life. He always had a chicken pen or a hog pen or a rabbit box to build. So I've been around building all my life. I could easily have been a carpenter, a builder myself. I have a bent towards that. Thank God he called me to preach. Glad for that. But I built huts in the woods. Built a tree house with my daddy. We took wood off of an abandoned house that had fallen in, got permission, pulled wood boards from that and used some pallets that my daddy brought home. We built that tree house. But I was I had other friends who had tree houses too, but I was the only one that had a stone fireplace in mine. Built from stones that got out of daddy's garden and mud clay that we dug down at the creek, and I could build fires in my tree house. I just always loved building. When I was 17 years old, the farmer down the road hired me to help him out on his farm, and we built fences and Took care of chickens and cows. Rode a horse nobody wanted to ride at one time. And we built his house, and I learned more about building. So I've been building. And I know some terms about carpentry. Now, this has a reason. I'm just not taking an opportunity to tell you about something I've enjoyed in my life. There's a point to this. And that is, everybody seems to know something about building, right? But all those people in your life that seem to know something about building, do you want them to frame up your bedroom? Probably not. And you get any two people together around the table, they'll probably come to some disagreement about what things mean in the world of building. Let me give you an example. We have these terms. And to understand what's really going on when a building is being built, you need to understand what some of those terms are. For instance, do you know what is a two-by-four? What's a two-by-four? Well, that's very easy, right? Everybody here would probably raise their hand to know 
Yep, I got it. I know a two by four. What does it mean? Well, first of all, you'd have to find out what's a two, and you get one of those. You get a two. And then you got to find out what is a four, and you get yourself a four. And then you put the two beside the four, and now you got it, right? We got a two by four. Everybody knows that. What's a four by six? Well, you got to find out what is a six, right? How about this one? What's OSB? Anybody know what, what is OSB? Well, you probably walked on some of it this morning, and whether you knew it or not, there it is. But now if we're going to say very much in particular, I mean, if we can really cut through all the terminology so that from one brain to another, we can know what's going on while we're trying to build something together. Is that good? that good? Are you understanding me so far? You look a little slow. Let's use another one. How about this? What's a square? What's a square in building? Do you have a square? Now, someone right now is thinking, well, you need that before you can mark a board and solve the board. Somebody else is thinking, yeah, a square, that's pretty costly. It's about $200 a yard. Someone else may be up on the roof trying to figure out how many shingles you need. But what is a square? Well, is it square? It's not square. It's not even half of a square, is it? And then they complicate it by, by adding another word to it. What's a speed square then? What's a speed square? Ah, someone's smiling. You know what a speed square is. Is a speed square a square? No, it's a triangle. See what we do with words? How about stud? How about a stud? What's a stud in building? Some of you ladies are smiling. Oh, we're not about the guy who's building the thing. We're talking about what he's using to build it. Could a stud and a two by four, in fact, be the same thing? Is that possible? Well, you'd have to understand these things. You'd have to be up on your terminology. Here's another one. How about the crown of a board? What, what's a crown of a board? That's a very important thing to know. But a lot of people don't. And even among those who think they do, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Terminologies can confuse us. Words mean different things to different people. How about a sleeper? I'm going to guess that maybe no one in the building knows what is a sleeper in building. But your great-great-grandfather knew what sleepers are, I'm fairly certain. Turns out a sleeper is what they used to call a floor joist. And they would stand over a floor system before they put the subfloor on top and they would say, look at all these sleepers. And then for some reason they started to call them joists. Do they do that in other areas of life? Yeah, they do it in farming, they do it gardening. They do it in all kinds of different worlds. And who in the world can understand what a doctor means anymore with the words they use? Words give us a lot of trouble, don't they? How about this? What, what in the world is a purlin? Well, is it a purlin? Do they even use those anymore? Probably not. But your great-grandfather knew what a purlin was in building, and he wanted them in his wall everywhere because it made the wall stronger. And yet someone comes along and calls a purlin a purline. Is that the same thing, though you pronounce it differently? Might be, maybe not. So we have all these words in building, and until we can get down to what the vocabulary actually means, it's really hard to communicate. 
Well, my world, my vocational world is not building. Although there are days out at Grace Farm, I might fake someone out and they would think I'm a builder. But I need the man to come along and say, Freddie, you can get down now. I got it. I, I need those men. But my vocational world is theology. And I believe in something called free grace soteriology. And I want to break that down for you today in a way that you and I both can understand and that we can talk about it. What is free grace soteriology? Well, let's get this big word and knock it out right off the bat. Soteriology is a study of salvation. Study of salvation. It's called soteriology. Comes from a Greek word, sozo, that in your Bible is translated as saved. And sometimes, though it's a minority in the Bible, the word saved means saved into eternal life. Most of the time the word saved is in your Bible. It's not referring to being saved into eternal life at all. It's about being saved from something in this world that's temporary. And that confuses a lot of people. And this is where I really make my case. That in the world of soteriology, those people who are talking about how to be saved, there is much confusion because some people don't know that there's a saving from sin into eternal life, and that there's also a saving that is David calling on the Lord, God save me because King Saul has thrown two spears at me this week in the palace. God save me. Well, is David trying to be saved to heaven? No. He's trying to make it through the week. And David used the word saved a lot in the psalm. Well, there are some people who don't know, and they come to the word saving in, for instance, James chapter 2, in verse 11, or James 2, 14. And they think that he's talking about how to be saved into eternal life by doing good works. And that's the definition of confusion, ladies and gentlemen, because James is trying to tell these people who have already been saved into eternal life how to be saved from disappointing God because they're not serving the Lord like saved people should. So it's pretty easy to go ahead without knowing the terms and become really confused about the terms of how to be saved into eternal life. And nothing is more important than that. Hey, you can have your two by fours. You, you can have the crown of a board, whatever. All these things are, I mean, they pale into insignificant nothingness compared to this thing. Because the most important thing in the whole wide world is to know that you have eternal life with God after this world's long gone. Amen. All right, now I'm trying to get you fired up about this. Nothing could ever be more important than that we, that we understand the, the correct words of the Bible, that God gave us it, that I can know myself that I am saved into eternal life, and that I can look beyond myself and I can help my friend or my father or my grandfather or my cousins. I can help them to understand how they can have 
everlasting life with God when we no longer have to worry about COVID and shutdowns and wearing a mask and making it. And how do you, how do you get to work when gas is three eighty-five a gallon? Do you understand all these? I know they trouble us by the day, but all these things pale away into nothingness compared to this issue that I put in front of you this morning. I believe in free grace soteriology. I believe that the Bible teaches how to be saved into eternal life. And I believe that the correct way to understand how to be saved into eternal life is something called free grace. We can only be saved by free grace. But what I find is in the world, there is a lot of confusion about what is free grace. What does that mean? And there are some other groups. There are some other ways of trying to understand how a person is saved. I'll give you some examples. There are some people who believe in what we call lordship salvation. Lordship salvation. That sound good? How about reformed theology? Here's another group. Here's another one. Calvinism. Some people say I'm a Calvinist. What does that mean? What, what, what does that mean about how to have eternal life? There's another group called Armenianism. It's a whole other way of thinking. Now when I was a little boy, a company started up. They were selling brand new houses cheaper than anyone else. I remember it, it sort of rocked the way people were obtaining homes for themselves because they were so much cheaper than anybody else. Well, they found out later that that company was building their home so much cheaper because they weren't using 16-inch on center stud construction. They were putting their studs 24 inches apart, made for easier math. Yeah, and it made for cheaper buildings, too, that were easier to be knocked down. There are different ways of approaching how to build a house. How about this? Is it stick built? Well, that sounds like what I was doing out in the woods with my huts. I was building them out of sticks. Do you live in a stick built house? Is that, are we even understanding what we're talking about here? So there are different ways that people approach the most important thing in the universe. How to have eternal life. And... Words should mean something. But like the word sleeper went away or became something else called a joist, sometimes words that we use when talking about God and how to have eternal life, they change their meaning over time also. How do we deal with that? Well, we need to be a Bible student. and We need to understand what the word is from the Bible and what did it mean when it was written by that author to his audience because it still means the same thing today. Amen. That's good. So I'm glad today to talk about free grace soteriology. I want to talk about what is free grace? What does that mean? And what I find is that sometimes people really misunderstand what that means. When we say free grace, we're talking about a way of explaining how to be saved to eternal life by using a clear gospel. Here's another term that you'll hear your pastor use sometimes. And I want to dare you, next time he uses it, get him later. Say, hey, you used that phrase today. He'll say, I sure did. Because your pastor and I, we camp together over these ideas. 
We believe in free grace soteriology. We believe in a clear gospel message. And I want to show you what that means. But even among people who say, yeah, I understand. I know what free grace is. I know what a clear gospel is. We find out in conversation that, no, they don't, they don't know at all. Let me give you an example. I had a young lady come to me and told me about how her family was going to join an evangelist in these uh, tent crusades he was doing. And this young lady told me, Mr. Freddie, he's really good. He's really exciting, and there's a big crowd in the tent, and blah, blah, and we're going to Washington, D.C. next. And I said, well, the main things, not how many people are under the tent or how exciting and all that, but the main thing I want to ask you is, is he clear on the gospel? She said, oh, yeah. She's nodding her head. She's very excited. Her face was lit up. She said, oh, yeah, Mr. Fred, he's clear. He made me cry. Does that mean the same thing? Does being clear on the gospel mean that you speak emotionally and powerfully, that people cry out? Is that the same thing? No, it's not. Another young lady actually was inviting Bethany to an event. She's inviting daughter of a preacher to another event. And I was so proud of Bethany, she looked at the young lady and said, well, are they clear? The young lady went off talking about something else. Bethany stuck to her gun. She said, well, are they clear? And I watched Bethany ask this young lady that about eight times in a row. But are they clear? And this young lady was bouncing all over the universe. And then she said this, yes, they're clear. They use a King James. Okay, is this the same thing? Is being clear on the gospel the same thing as using a King James Bible? It's not the same thing, is it? I'm so glad to see smiles and nods of heads, and, and I understand. Well, I went into Honduras with um, Biblical Seminary. We, we went in and taught seminary classes for preachers and spent a week there teaching. Now, every one of those Honduran pastors in the beginning of the week would have told you, yes, we... We are clear on the gospel. They would have told you, yes, we give a clear... But did they understand what I mean when I say clear on the gospel? Clearly they didn't because as I began to teach them biblical evangelism, how that works, there was opposition in the room. I thought, that's ah, going to be some tough sledding this week. And it was, and there was some opposition, and there were questions asked, and I was glad to give an answer. And five days later, one of those men stood in front of all those other Honduran pastors, and in English, he didn't use the translator. He spoke it in English. He said this. He said, some of us had the benefit of having sponsors that we were able to go to the United States and go to schools. He said, he named some pastors right out of the room. He named them. He said, we all went there and we spent four years. But I'm happy to tell you that I have learned more these last five days than I learned in four years of Bible college in the United States. Is that good? Is that good? So there's a lot of learning that needs to be done. So let's cut to this and ask, what does free grace mean? Well, it means that eternal life is by faith alone. 
in Christ alone. Would you say that with me? Faith alone in Christ alone. We have summed up in a nutshell what free grace theology is all about. It's about being saved into eternal life. Eternal life. It's not talking about the other kind of being saved. It's not talking about how to be saved from the guy who's being rude to you. It's talking about how to be saved from sin into eternal life. And it's by faith alone. Oh, you missed your cue. You were supposed to say it with me. It's by being saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Very good. Good. All right. Now, some critics of free grace theology might say this. You believe that sin doesn't matter. That you just believe in Jesus and go and just do a whole bunch of sin. All you want to sin. Well, that's not my message. I don't encourage people to sin. However, I'm so glad that the kind of salvation into eternal life that I believe in does not require a person to stop sinning. Because if it did, then nobody's ever been saved. Certainly no one here. I mean, just look around. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? If, if stopping your sin is a part of the gospel, nobody can know they're saved. Are you, are you listening to me? That's why this is so important. If you, whenever you add that element into the saving gospel, you just made it a non-saving gospel. Because now it depends on the person's future. And that person hasn't lived in that future yet. If you go to bed at night thinking, I know I'm saved now because I've turned from all my 